Welcome to the Arctic Together podcast, a show centering Indigenous community voices where we're getting to the root of research and what it means to be Arctic Together through sharing story. I'm your host Carly and I am Anishinaabekwe and serve as the Indigenous Engagement Coordinator for the Navigating the Arctic Community Extension Office at Alaska Pacific University. I am joined by my co-host James. I'm James Tempty joining you from Denina lands in Anchorage, Alaska, on the campus of Alaska Pacific University. In today's episode, we will talk about a Navigating the New Arctic project, the Tmumpta program, a program aimed at transforming Western and Indigenous fisheries and marine sciences together. We are also joined by two amazing artists during the intersection segment of the podcast series and are honored to welcome two young Indigenous scholars in a roundtable discussion on community equity and research. joined with members of the Damumta team, a program centered on elevating 14,000 years of Indigenous stewardship and bridging Indigenous and Western sciences to transform graduate education and research in fisheries and marine sciences. Dr. Jessica Black serves on the Community Office Research Advisory Board, and Kendrick is part of the first cohort of Damumta Fellows. Welcome, and thank you for being here today. It's good to be here. My name is Jessica Black. I'm Gwich'in. My family is from Gwich'aje, Fort Yukon, but I currently live and work in Fairbanks on the Trothyadet campus at UAF. I'm associate professor in Alaska Native Studies, Rural Development, and Tribal Governance. It's good to be here. My name is Kendrick. I'm originally from Gwich'lup, and uh, my mom is from Gwich'lup. My dad is from Michigan. I was a teacher there for about 30 years and I grew up in the village and now I'm <clears throat> here in Fairbanks, uh, the Trotheta campus as well as a master's of fisheries student um, and I just started the program. Shimigwich, thank you for being here today. Uh, Dr. Black, could you describe the Damamta program and some of the, the goals? Yeah, sure. I can get started. So. Damumta is a word in the Sukpiak and Yupik languages that means all of us. And the project is really about centering and elevating indigenous stewardship that is, you know, 14,000 plus years old and bridging indigenous and Western sciences to really transform education. In the the MUMTA program, we're also trying to um, transform research and governance systems. We, our, our PI is Dr. Courtney Carruthers, and I'm the co, one of the co-investigators along with Dr. Peter Wesley and Dr. Charlene Stern. And we are building this project off of years of cross-cultural and cross-disciplinary work 
to really address issues of equity and sustainability. Um, our fellows, we have a first year fellows and we're about to announce our second year cohort uh, are really from a diverse spectrum of communities and backgrounds and working on their own projects that elevate the co-production of knowledge and also um, advancing equity. The heart of our program is really our indigenous students and the work that they're doing across Alaska. The, the meaning of the Monta for me uh, as an indigenous student um, creates a pathway for uh, kind of like the a light that at the end of the tunnel where <clears throat> my hopes of pursuing an education um, when I was younger, um, all of that was invested into wanting to become, uh, that's my daughter. She's, uh, we've been battling a sick, a little bit of sickness here and there, but she's here with me and um, the whole meaning of getting a, an education as an indigenous student is always to come back to community and, and bring back something to build up our people. And uh, Damanta has created that space and that vision uh, for me. And um, yeah, so much opportunity to connect with people all over Alaska. Uh, especially some elders, some people who've been super involved with um, like the evolution of what Indigenous is today, um, different leaders across Alaska. So it's been really good. Are, are you focusing on a specific river or a specific um, community in Alaska with your research or are you kind of looking at the whole of the whole state? Right now, <clears throat> I'm... Um, largely looking at the Kuskokwim River, but uh, the neighboring river, Yukon, I, to me, they're the same, just because uh, like in the past, hundreds of years ago, they were quite separate, but because I know people from the Yukon, uh, many people, and the world is very small nowadays, so you get to no matter where you go in Alaska, you always uh, might see somebody you know from anywhere. So uh, my, my mind is steering towards the, the fish commissions and working with them. And I've been in, here in Fairbanks for a number of years now. And I've um, been in contact with people at the uh, Yukon Intertribal Fish Commission the fishing and hunting task force at TCC. So to me, they're they're both, uh, you know, of equal value and of equal interest. But for um, the sake of focusing a little bit and <clears throat> trying to not complicate things, I think I'll focus on Kaskukum for now. Great, thanks, Kendrick. Um, very interesting work and. 
Uh, I know like a lot of our work that we do as Indigenous people, it's really centered around equity and centered around serving community. And, you know, especially in the fisheries realm, there's been a lot of points of contention um, through different management processes. And I say management processes, I, I'm mostly talking about, um, you know, Western management of fisheries and not necessarily Indigenous stewardship or caretaking of fisheries or the view that fish are relations. Um, and I know Tamamta is really working hard to kind of center equity in in your work as the as, as a project team. Um, and could you maybe talk a little bit about you know the transformation approaches or even your own personal approaches towards you know co-production of knowledge in fisheries or um, you know, maybe in the maybe even in the context of higher education um, and institutions. Like I know there's a lot of work that has to be done internally, um, and I know Jessica, you're really involved in a lot of that work as well um, as as Dr. Carruthers too. Um, could you just talk about um, you know your own approaches or transformation transformation approaches um, through Demumpta and Demumpta's work? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of my work focuses on equity and to give some context, I grew up along the Yukon River with my grandparents and my extended family. I honestly never thought in my life there would be a time without fish. It was so central to our lives. Um, we actually think back on it and we would go to fish camp early in the summer and come back late in the summer. And we always looked forward to coming back to town because we were gone so long. But I look back on it now and I just think, you know, how lucky I was to grow up that way with my family and just everything I learned at Fish Camp Fish just taught me so much about being a human being and love, respect, family, connection, sharing, respect for elders, the environment, on which we depend. And fast forward this past summer and a couple of summers ago, I wasn't able to fish at all because of the Chinook salmon crash and more recently the Chum crash. And that has just been devastating to our communities, both on the Kuskokwim and the Yukon. And um, so, you know, I'm very motivated to seek equity that our Indigenous people with our 14,000 years of knowledge and experience that is passed on generation to generation. And I believe it's a cumulative, you know, what my great-great-grandparents know is passed down to me. And yet, as indigenous people to Alaska, we don't have meaningful seats at decision-making tables. We're just treated as another stakeholder, even though we have over 200 federally recognized tribal governments. So, you know, I really advocate for equity in those spaces, but at the institutional level at UAF, um, I also push on our university to advance equity as well. For example, a lot of education is taught from the perspective of Western thought. And 
if for, you know, if you go into your fisheries classes, you're most likely not going to hear about indigenous stewardship of salmon or indigenous knowledge because one, people don't know or two, they don't know how to teach about it or three, they just have never thought about it. So you hear, you know, about like Western education, Western thought, and you might be an indigenous student sitting there and none of your family knowledge, your community's knowledge is ever brought up. And yet we've been stewards for, you know, 14,000 years. So I really push on the institution to advance equity through, you know, our faculty learning more about indigenous knowledge, uh, bringing in speakers to educate the co university community to hiring of more native faculty, to ensuring our students feel supported so that they do well, um, that their cultures are represented in signage and artwork and land acknowledgements and opportunities to hear from their own indigenous peoples. So the work is obviously very important to me. I'm very passionate about it. I was thinking about fisheries and don't quote me on this, but um, I heard a statistic that approximately 80% of students in the fisheries program at UF go on to agency positions, more managerial positions. So if you think about that, it's so important that we have indigenous representation in our fisheries program because you know, those are gonna be our leaders in the governance systems. Wow, I love that. And um, yeah, I know like with the Tamamta fellows too, like everyone has a story and um, have a role to play in, you know, I think transforming these governance systems, I think that's kind of a big piece of it is the governance um, and the self-determination over um, stewarding fisheries and taking care of them and making sure that they're healthy. But a lot of the researchers funded by the Navigating the New Arctic program are from outside of Alaska or outside of the Arctic. Do you have any um, advice for researchers that may be coming up and looking to, you know, have co-production be a part of their project? Um, anything that you would like to just share with them? Yeah, I think it's really important for researchers who want to come to the Arctic, and the Arctic is such a huge place, so, um, but to come to communities and engage in co-production of knowledge, you really have to get to know people in the community and build trust. Trust is such an essential part of doing good work and not being a researcher who extracts knowledge leaves and really doesn't return. Co-production of knowledge in my mind is co-producing together everything from question generation all the way through the research process through evaluation. And that takes time and that takes building trust in fact, you know, I'm an indigenous scholar. I did a lot of my dissertation work in my home communities. And the first thing that some of my elders told me is don't 
be like other researchers and just take all the knowledge and leave and never come back. And that was just so striking to me because in my mind, I would never do that, but that had been their experience. And so I think it's really important for researchers and there's such a large influx of money coming into the Arctic to study different issues. And I know that my, our native people really believe in good science and getting an education, but not at the cost of, you know, relationships. You have to be in relationship with people. It's not a transaction. It's building relationships, building trust, and really doing work from the heart that the community also believes in and taking feedback, meaningfully incorporating it, compensating fairly your people you work with who are helping you make this research happen. Um, you know, it, there's a lot to it. I was also thinking, you know, a lot of science doesn't really, different disciplines don't really think about people. You know, they might say, I'm just studying sea ice, or I'm just studying marine mammals, or I'm just studying soil. But people are such an important part of place here in Alaska. We're interconnected. And so if you're studying marine mammals, well, of course that impacts people who depend on them and they live in relationship with them, so they care. So you really have to think about all of this as holistically versus siloed. And people are a very important part of this system. The animals, the land rely on the people to steward it and the people rely on the animals and land to take care of them too. And it's a symbiotic relationship. So there's a lot to this, more than just coming in, getting your research done and leaving and making a career for yourself. These are meaningful relationships that require time, trust and follow through. So I'm hopeful that people will really take that seriously and do better science. Such such wise words, Jessica. Um, Kendrick, did you have anything that you'd like to add to that or share? Yeah, this is a um, <clears throat> super, super important question. And I think uh, Dr. Black shared very in-depth and um, couldn't have said anything, couldn't have said it any better. However, I'd like to add that <clears throat> um, when I was a young student, I was attending KUC campus and work, um, volunteering for the Fish and Wildlife Service. A student uh, who was out of, based out of Anchorage, was a master's student and doing research um, on the Kuskokwim. And like, I don't know if he had like been taught some of this community-based research method stuff. Um, but a lot of the things we encouraged him to do um, was just try something new because um, as indigenous people, <clears throat> somebody who's coming from the outside who has good intentions, um, those are the people that <clears throat> people from the communities will take under their wing and just say, hey, here's this. Um, this is what happens 
during this time of year or um, bring them to experience something like a, a steam bath. <clears throat> and when they, when you're able to connect with different people in the communities that you're working with, um, just going to go have a cup of coffee or, or taking interest in, in um, finding different levels to connect on. Great advice. Um, yeah, it's, it's important to have fun. I think people often forget that and it's important to include art and culture. Um, you are, you shared a little bit about motivate you personally about the project, but do you have, you know, anything else you'd like to share on like how this program has impacted you personally? Just learning from the students, I think, has been one of the most powerful aspects for me. Uh, students like Kendrick and all of his cohort, and then we're uh, inviting a new cohort next year. And just the depth of knowledge and um, wisdom and just connection to place has been so illuminating for me it's helping me to understand different systems because you know not everywhere in Alaska is alike every community every region has different you know sets of knowledge systems um, focus challenges and I'm learning a lot so I think I've been really inspired by the students and everything that they've shared with me I feel very honored and also think it's it's really pushed me to think critically in different ways that I, I hadn't thought before. Or I didn't know something and they've, and they've taught me through their work, through their home, what are some of the strengths and challenges and things that they're focusing on. So um, that's very inspiring to me. And I truly believe that we're always learning our whole entire lives. You listen to elders speak and they'll tell you, like always be learning and stay humble. And so that has kind of been a mantra for me. And I feel so fortunate. Like I truly love to wake up and do the work that I am doing. It's a lot for sure. I um, find most days I just sort of fall in bed, uh, you know, exhausted, but I do wake up excited for my work and the day through the Damumta program, uh, I remember in one of the classes, we were in a group doing a, a little group work through Zoom. We had talked about <clears throat> um, who we are, really down to the really basic things, who we want to be, like a father, um, an uncle, um, things like this. And then in the future, who, who we looked to be. Uh, and that really brought some perspective on what it means to be uh, a person. Because when you have that um, love for your family, that's uh, nearly, nearly irreplaceable. And you think about them throughout, you know, your future life and your responsibilities. <clears throat> and I've even thought about the world word responsible. Um, you're able to make a response. You're able to have a, you know, you're able 
to respond. And that brought some um, <clears throat> very moving motives for myself to um, solidify myself with my surroundings in these course in this coursework in this program with the different people that are coming to visit from all across the state and it's been um, it's been difficult but a, a blessing at the same time and um, I don't think our creator could have planned it any better for me and I'm just super grateful <clears throat> and I Yesterday, I, I met with somebody from Old Crow, which is a village up in the in the Yukon, and I uh, just this program like this can provide so many opportunities to to learn with other people, to learn from them, to share your own knowledge. I think that just shows you that how powerful it is to kind of be surrounded by you know, people who are like you and who have similar values um, or, or worldviews. And I think to me, it sounds like Damanta really encourages you to kind of bring your full self, right? And I think in doing that, you know, you're a better hum human, you're a better relative to um, other people, to our non-human relatives as well, um, like the land and to, to, to fish. Thank you so much, Jessica and Kendrick, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Tamumpta and its fellows, you can visit their website at tamumpta.org, where you can find several recordings from their seminar series. We cried and we laughed. Lessons from my history. But not of how we go back. Cause we strive to move forward A vision of what we can be Full is our circle Complete as you and me And we'll, we'll Every episode, we aim to include an intersection segment that covers the intersections of people, place, and art. Whether it's visual art, poetry, music, or film, we hope to highlight artists from the Arctic who have had an impact on community, who are involved in various dissemination pieces, and we examine the intersections of art and research. Today we are joined with two amazing artists who have had such an impact on the art and music scene here in Alaska. Could you introduce yourself and share with the listeners where you're from? Really passing it on. <laughs> um, my name is Bayou Moore. I grew up between Twin Hills and Dillingham and have lived in Aleknagik for the last eight, eight years. Right now I'm in Adiagic. So in the wintertime, I've been sort of migrating and trying to be this modern native with my kids where I'm like, I need help with kids. Who wants to help me? <laughs> So right now the Igyaga community is, uh, has welcomed us in for the winter. Mm -hmm. 
Hello everyone. My name is Katjung. Um, I'm from originally from Montreal, uh, which is in the southwestern part of Alaska. Um, and um, I, I currently now reside in um, Aquan territory um, in the southwestern, southeastern part of Alaska. So I went from the extremes, kind of southeast to extreme, or uh, southwest to the extreme southeast. So um, really happy to uh, to join you all in this conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for those introductions and thanks again for joining us. Could you describe how, where you're from or how you grew up influenced your music or art and what you do, you know, where do you draw your inspiration from? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I was just waiting for it. Oh, absolutely. I'm so happy to share that because that's the, that's my favorite part of this story, uh, my home and my people. Um, and that's what it's all about. So, you know, like I mentioned, I grew up in the southwestern part of Alaska in, in a community called um, Montreal, um, also in another, another community, uh, Nunapichok. And so that is the home of the Yupik um, Inuit people of, of, uh, of Alaska. You know, the Inuit span from like, you know, Russia, in the eastern part of Russia, all across, you know, the southwestern Alaska up to northern, northern Alaska with the Inupiaq and then across Canada um, with the Inuktitut uh, and Inuvelik, all that, and then uh, into Kalashisuk, uh, into Greenland um, uh, with the Inuit and the Kalashit there. And so uh, that's kind of been the main, the main part of like my music. So I've, I'm a musician in a band called Bamiwa. Um, we've been together um, since about the 1900s. Um, and uh, 1995, I think, is when we started. Um, and so uh, we, we, we sing us, our songs that are based on our traditional dances, and um, which, was, which is like the basis of like a, a lot of our music. Um, when, we started, when we started singing, it was originally like these old, uh, you know, Yupik songs that we that we kind of grew up hearing, um, and and then putting some kind of like soul and and kind of groove to it, you know, because uh, the whole part of that was because you know we're Yupik, but we're also uh, black. You know, my father uh, is is um, my father's side of the family is all from North and South Carolina, and um, so it was just honoring. Um, basically, like both sides of our our culture, our heritage, um, being young black men, but also being being young young Inuit um, men, and so the way that we did that was through song and dance, and so it was this like kind of fusion of our cultures coming together, um, and and the main the main basis of it all. I mean. It, is is our traditional dancing called yuhak and um and then also honoring our language uh yuxtun the yupik the yupik language um and so uh we wanted to just like honor that but also um yeah just do something that was really freaking cool <laughs> you know because we never heard 
that kind of stuff before um, in songs. So we were just like, you know, even when we were doing it, we were just kind of giddy and laughing and like, oh man, that sounds kind of cool. And like, uh, we, we just loved it. And um, all these years, I'm still, still have that, um, that love and that feeling um, uh, every time we uh, jump onto the stage. Yeah, you've also kind of branched out and kind of have a new solo album and you have songs like The Gathering or Our Stories. And I think when mm -hmm. I listen to those, it, it really just takes me to the communities and kind of celebrates. Do you have any, is that kind of the intent behind those? Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, The Gathering, that's a, that's a special song. I was actually just with David Boxley last weekend, um, who was the composer of that song. Um, he's Shim Shan. And a prolific, prolific. Most people know him as like this, this amazing um, totem pole carver, um, but he's also um, a, a dance leader. He has a group called Get Home, and I, I, I worked with him um, many, many years ago, um, maybe about uh, 18, 19, 20 years ago or so, and uh, to work and, and to teach to teach um, a group of young people I was working with. Um, his style of dancing, and and I just fell in love with the song "The Gathering," and uh, and then I, this one one time we got together, I think it was his um, wife's birthday, and I I sang I sang a version of my version of this gathering, and he was like, "Oh my God, I love that!" And he's like, "You can use that for you know," and and that was like probably the about fifteen years ago when I showed him that song, and so yeah, I did I did, I have a solo album now. Um, as well as Bamiwa, and where um, I kind of express myself in a different way, right? You know, Bamiwa is all about the language and the songs or the, you know, the traditional dances and all that. Um, Mew, that the album Mew that I just released, mean, Mew means a place from which you come from. So uh, the album's called Pachung, my name, Mew, uh, a place from which I come from. And so that song has, or that album has a little bit more of a that kind of singer songwriter side of me. So that's, it's a little different songs. Are, a lot of them are in English. And, and uh, so, um, and then like our story or yeah, yeah, our stories is, was, was one of those songs. It's just a love song for the reverence and the respect that I have for Alaska native people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been so neat. Um, been able to play these songs at different conferences and just to see the community there kind of just like it just elevates this level and it feels like you know you're just honoring folks in your songs and I think that's so cool to uh to witness and to to be a part of um Abayu um so you're a visual artist and you do a lot of painting um can you talk about you know, kind of the themes of your paintings, like how do you choose a theme and what do you hope to convey through some of your, your artwork pieces? How do I choose a theme? I just wanted to add to, I grew up with Bumia when they would travel to the different schools and it was always fun because there's a whole group of them and then we'd also play games and stuff. So I remember playing Miyachi in the gym. So it, as well as them coming over and being you pick rock stars, <laughs> they would also play games with us. So we thought that they were so awesome. Um, <laughs> making you pick super cool. Yeah. Um, as far as my work goes as a visual artist and choosing themes, I've just sort of stuck to my core uh, 
and just being a UPIC person and trying to grasp the best in us and trying to portray the things that a lot of other people or the public might not always have firsthand in their sights. So just our family environments, um, subsistence scenes, where capturing a moment where there might be some extra smiles where it's just pure joy because there's so much hard work in it, you know? So you're getting frustrated at times and <laughs> it's not always fun and games, but there, once you do hit that happy spot, it's just absolute illumination. Um, so trying to feel that and think of the moments or the scenes or an instant that brings that illumination to light is kind of what I try to hold on to for subject matter. Yeah, I know you've also done some murals at APU and you chose like salmon berries and they're just like these massive bright salmon berries that are painted in the wall. And I can see like, it's just that joy, you know, just to be a part of like a blue, like a, it takes you to a, a field full of salmon berries under the blue sky with these clouds. And they're just really, um, they're, they're great to be on the campus. And so do you have any other like mural projects planned or is that something you're interested in? I'm always interested in mural projects are the funnest projects to work on. Not mm. only because of the amount of uh, energy that you get to put in it, you know, it's like dancing. If you have something tall, your whole body is all over the place. But financially it makes sense <clears throat> to survive as an artist with those bigger contracts. Um, it's funny with the Salmonberry murals, the way that that came about, because there's a series of them where I sort of clung to people's reaction off of one. And so the first one was going into the youth facility in Bethel, which is a juvenile center. And I needed to research a little bit what would bring calm and peace to the young people that were in there. And it was the complementary colors horizontal themes and the first thing that just popped out at me were these berries right and just like oh in a heavenly berry filled tundra scene with a blue sky and those big you know curly clouds up there that would make me feel peace and the Bethel community was so stoked that a mural was going over there but then it wasn't going to be accessible to the public and so another opportunity dropped on me where their pool building was needing some artwork and they were like, well, can you submit a proposal? And I felt sort of like a cheater because I basically submitted the same thing to them. It's like the same idea of <laughs> salmon berries, but so they could see it also. Yeah, I'm always out there. I try not to limit myself to just being a muralist. Oh, yeah. I feel like one of the biggest things with rural Alaska is that we've always conducted our lives as businesses. Like we just have so many different occupations within our daily life. And that was normal to me. What wasn't normal to me was going to college and needing to direct it to one single thing. And I'd be like, why are we minimizing ourselves? I could do so much more. So I like doing logos um the mural art is fun painting i like illustrating i like working in construction um the iditarod bbnc has done their fish first award with me for the last four years or so so i cut out a wooden fish and do wood burning um yeah there's there's a lot of different elements i try not to limit myself and let people know like if you put a project on me i'll figure it out there's youtube now you ever, yeah. you ever done an album cover 
<laughs> I've uh, helped or contributed to book covers. Oh man, you do a hell of a cover for Bumua. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> that's, I think that's, there's a lot there. And I think that's something that I, you know, when I first moved up here, I had to understand is, you know, that people wear so many different hats all the time. And when you're working with folks in communities, you know, they're, they're, they got so many different things going on. And I think your work and kind of how you explain it, it just kind of shows that, you know, you can be a fisherman, you can be an artist, you can be an activist, like Steven, a musician, influencer here. Also, like you have a family, um, just balancing all of that. Um, is just, I think it's very unique um, to Alaska in the Arctic. That is all we have for this part of episode one of the Arctic Together podcast. We have so much great content that we wanted to include, so we're splitting up episode one into two parts. In part two, we will resume our conversation with Gatjung and Apayu, and we also chat with two indigenous scholars, Haley Hanna-Stepton and Margaret Rudolph in a roundtable discussion on their research, equity, and working in relationship with community. Thanks for listening to part one of the first episode, and Chimigwich, big thank you to the guests who joined us. The music featured in this episode are from Gatjung's solo album, Mew, with full songs available on all streaming platforms. Visit nna-co.org slash arctic-together-podcast for part two. Be sure to check out the podcast show notes on the website for more information about the guest speakers and you'll find additional resources for reading. Talk to you next time and be well. Good, so well. Yeah. 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 Yeah.